Welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law, and I am here with my Above the Law colleagues as usual. Chris Williams and Catherine Fino are here. Hi. Yeah. Catherine's been relatively silent instead of cutting me off in the middle of our intro, which I, you know, I'm going to take as finally having... You've beaten me down? Yeah. That sure. was kind of what I was saying. You can take it any way you want, friend. Okay. Wow. So we're off to a great start. How is everybody? Oh, I guess this is small talk, so... Um, yeah, so how is everybody? Uh, I recently started season three of The Boys. Oh, nice. okay. That uh, hero show on yeah. Amazon. And uh, I always forget that that exists. Yeah. I did, too, until I saw this one meme of a guy being birthed through a penis... And uh, I was like, yeah, I need to I need to get intrigued. context. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I saw the first episode of season three, and I got the context. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this is the show. <laughs> this is the show that I've been missing. So that's that's been me. I feel like that's an argument for a C-section. Uh, it, I think that was a P-section, to be honest. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Whichever, yeah. whichever it is. Uh, yeah, so, okay. Uh, Catherine? Yeah. This past weekend was both a celebration of Juneteenth and Father's Day. I had a family barbecue and it was freezing cold. My family always has a sort of Father's Day barbecue and I cannot tell you the amount of years I've gotten burnt to a crisp. It doesn't matter if I'm wearing like 70 SPF. I always get burnt over Father's Day weekends when we always have our barbecue. And this time I was like, does anybody have a sweatshirt? It's freezing out here because, you know, cataclysm with climate change is coming for us all. Yeah. Well, on that note, we are, as of recording, we do not have a decision in the EPA case. So cataclysmic climate change could still theoretically be averted. Uh, that won't be true. I mean, it cannot. <laughs> that won't be true by the, by the end it's of the only Supreme get Court worse. term. But here we are for now. So yeah, so that's great. Everybody's... How about you, Joe? How did you spend your weekend? Cooking, cleaning, you know, the usual... Household chore sorts of things. I made a mole sauce. Mm. Yeah, I'd never done that. There's a lot, lot that goes into it, and I, you know, it's like yeah. notoriously yeah, difficult. That, mm-hmm. Yeah, people that don't know, a mole sauce is. I mean, like Mexican cuisine has a reputation of being easy to make. Oh, you get some tomatoes and I don't know, like yeah. some some chili powder, but mole is really fucking hard to make. Like, yeah, and there's no consensus whatsoever. I mean, like all recipes have some variation and no consensus. Mm-hmm. But like, this was wildly different as I tried to, you know, put together my own version of a lot of different recipes. I mean, whole completely, other than a couple of key ingredients, they're, they're wildly different how how'd they you get the, uh, How'd you up. get the unicorn blood? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? Like, I, I mean, I saw some recipes were pumpkin seeds, others were not. Some said almonds, some said peanuts, like, sesame uh like like tahini ultimately i use the tahini version but mm. yeah it's it's all over the place what uh, color so, was it when you were done i mean pretty dark it, it was a uh, very dark i i feel like i could do better with more different kinds of dried chilies i didn't have a huge mm. variety of dried chilies i think if i could do a, a few different ones whatever you know it was it was good uh, it's an it's a new take for me it was you know, it's the thing, it was one of those things that I would order when I go out, mm. but I figured I should figure out how to do it at home. So, you know, experiment successful, I think. Well, we'll I see. I hope it didn't have much of the um, pressure cooker eggnog flavor in it or anything. 
<laughs> no, it, it was not a. I don't have a pressure cooker, but I have, I have slow cookers. <laughs> I love how that was the first thing you wanted to address. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not a heathen. <laughs> no, I mean pressure cookers. You know, are super useful, but I don't know. I've Certainly never... on cooking competition shows, they yeah, play but, an outsized role. Yeah, but I'm usually not cooking with a time limit, so I don't necessarily need them. Anyway, this seems like we've gone on way too long without talking about law in some way, uh, which is theoretically what we're supposed to do. So let's put a cap on small talk and move on to talking about, about law. So I think the the right answer to begin this week is with one of the biggest stories of last week. Let's talk about the Supreme Court and who they're all married to. Yeah, so let's start <laughs> not talking about lawyers, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Ginny Thomas has been in the news, unsurprisingly, perhaps, given the fact that she seems to be a magnet for controversy these days. But, you know, Ginny Thomas is a uh, right-wing political operative in her own right, has been for years. This is not a new development. But, you know, after the election of 2020, she was super involved in the effort to keep Donald Trump in power. Uh, and a bunch of stuff we had already known about her involvement, right? We knew that there was something like 29 text messages with Mark Meadows that were I characterize them as unhinged. We knew that she did, had a letter writing campaign to Arizona state representatives trying to convince them to have uh, independent electors that would disregard the results of the actual election in the state and instead put forward their votes for Donald Trump. So those are the kind of things that we knew were, were simmering in the background. But in the uh, sort of wake of the January 6th commission and the live hearings that have been going on over the last couple of weeks, we found out some new details, which also include that she was in communication with Coos for Dummies lawyer, John Eastman, who was the former legal academic at Chapman, who put forward the theory that Mike Pence could just decide to undo the election, which kind of was the start of everything that happened on January 6th. And as a result, the committee would like to speak to Ginny. Yeah. So that's the thing that's happening. So, yeah, I, let, let's break down. There's a lot going on there. Let's break down some of the key aspects. So the Chapman University former professor and former dean, actually, mm -hmm. uh, John Eastman, who had been Thomas Clerk and all, Eastman, Eastman puts out a memo where he's it's not, it's a little more complex than he says that the vice president can unilaterally just change the election his argument is that the job of the vice president according to the electoral act of 1887 is to count and certify these electors when they come in and while he can't necessarily reject them out of hand if there are claims that they aren't real for whatever made up reason then he could say, we're just not counting those. With those excluded, the argument was, of the counted votes, Trump would win of those. And that was the first argument. And then the second argument was, as when people thought that was too crazy, he argued that, well, maybe what he can do is say certain states like in particular, like a Wisconsin or Arizona, where there were state legislatures that were run by Republicans. Instead, maybe what Pence had the right to do is say, because of controversy surrounding these, we're sending it back to the legislature to tell us who actually won 
in their own right, and that the state legislatures then could disregard the vote and just say that Trump won. So those were the two competing theories. He apparently was in communications with Ginny Thomas about this. The next wrinkle that then comes up is he's also sending around emails telling people that he has been told that the Supreme Court justices are having internal fights and disagreements over whether or not these election lawsuits should go forward. This indicates that he has some inside information about private Supreme Court deliberations. That would seem to be, you know, one of those leaks that everybody told us was so problematic. The only person that he seems to have been in communication with throughout all of this is Ginny Thomas, (laughs) leading everybody to make the, you know, two plus two equals four conclusion that Jenny Thomas is the source of this information that he's pawning off on people, which then led to some folks making the next, you know, dog bites man conclusion, which is that we have a known leaker at the Supreme Court releasing this Dobbs opinion. Most of us have largely come around to the idea that the conventional wisdom at this point is that Jenny is probably that leaker too, releasing the opinion in a way to stop conservatives who had signed on to it in theory from potentially defecting to a more moderate course advocated by Chief Justice Roberts. So to that extent, we have that potential leak. We have this leak going on, and folks are starting to wonder if maybe the the improvident speaker is Jenny Thomas, and we in multiple leaks this seems to be the person who's at the uh, the center of it all. Yeah, I mean, I think it is interesting because, you know, I kind of speculated. Lots of folks are talking, you know, what will the January 6th commission ask um, Ginny Thomas? And certainly I think that the leak of the Dobbs opinion is outside their scope and they will not, you know, go near it. But it is very interesting that two of the largest controversies that are going on currently regarding the Supreme Court both have the same person at the center of them. Yeah, it, it, it is, you know, the idea that, you know, we, we needed to find a leaker and then we start hearing about somebody in communication leaking and it's just like. That wasn't OK. What? That was terrifying. That was terrifying. It was not. No. No, 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 no. no. See, I, I, I mean, no. I, I thought it was very appropriate. I'm not saying it wasn't appropriate. Yeah. It was, it was startling. It was unnecessary. It was not very cash money of you. <laughs> art is always startling. That's what we're. Uh, this is art. I, I think our podcast is art. <sighs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. Super. Super. Okay. Super. Fine. All right. Super. So anyway. Uh, Bye. So yeah, so what? It's not what, even a fight. I'm just shocked that <laughs> <laughs> that's the arg. So no, 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 no animus there. Just surprise. Just surprise. No, but I, I do think it's interesting that Ginny continues to be in the center of these controversies. And you know, to be clear, despite knowing his wife's involvement in a lot of these post-election machinations. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas still heard cases regarding the January 6th committee. Well, in right? particular, in, in, well, in yeah. particular, he was the lone dissenter yep. in the case that authorized the disclosure of these emails, yep. basically. I wonder why. Uh, I wonder which, why he didn't want yeah. these. Yeah. Which, which really speaks to the idea that these two are in communication, which you would assume 
they would be, but that these two are talking at home about exactly all these, you know, shady dealings. It's more than just Stretch's credulity to say that, like, how are they not talking about this at home? The fact that he's literally the only dissent to say the January 6th committee shouldn't get to do this is is the handwriting yeah. on the wall. That makes it, I think, more obvious than if it had just been a 9-0 decision, right? right. That's yeah. what he should have done. If he was actually playing the long game, he would have been part of the 9-0 and people be like, well, you know, look at he just does what he thinks is the right thing and blah, blah, blah. But he didn't, right? He went out on a limb in order to protect his wife's communications and now he, now it looks like it. Yeah. It's going to continue to be an interesting course. I, the, the, I put out some gambling odds on who the leaker was, and while some clerk going off on their own still was the odds bet, because that's where everyone's head was at that time, the person who I thought was the most likely outright, in a real sense, in those odds was Ginny. And I can only imagine if I redid those odds today that they would be a little bit, they'd be a little bit better on that one. I'm still in the, this is all just to distract you from the liberals getting Kentaji Brown-Jackson in the court, and I think that she's behind the leak. Oh, yeah. go ahead. Yes, there was also that one. Yeah. yeah. In the annals of bad prognostication, the people who predicted that that was the issue, somebody who's not on the court was the leaker. Yeah, that's, that's likely. I saw a recent tweet. Somebody said the making Juneteenth a federal holiday was part of the reason that mass shootings are a problem. Oh, like this was, I think this was this was yesterday when I tweeted out basically a happy Juneteenth tweet from like the above the law Twitter, and people got under and were mad and like, oh, you know, oh, you're being racist for celebrating the federal right. holiday. And when one of the people that said that they retweeted a thing that was like, oh, Juneteenth is why mass shooters are a thing. The list of reasons keeps growing. Yeah, it just there's always another one. Anything yeah, I mean, but guns. Yeah. Pretty much. It is It is astonishing. I'm sure we've all seen these kind of memes that go around about the number of like mass shootings that happen in the U.S. compared to, you know, the next top 15 countries combined. You know, the U.S. is, is in the hundreds of, of mass shootings and everyone, like the next one is like three or something like that. And somebody will be like, what could it be? And I was like, it's the guns. It's the, gu it, the our, our Second Amendment jurisprudence. I, I know exactly what it is. That's what it is. It's the guns. Generate quality briefs, memos, and redlines in minutes with Calidus AI. You enter the case's facts, then Calidus suggests bodies of law, statutes, and precedents. You tell it if those are relevant, and Calidus generates a well-cited, well-formatted document. You can trust what went into it because you put it there. Be exceptionally productive with better outcomes using legal's most advanced AI platform. Just three minutes from registration to results. Get $90 off your first two months. Use promo code JOE at calidusai.com. That's C-A-L-L-I-D-U-S-A-I.com. Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Guy, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Guy, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network. Available wherever podcasts are found.
So speaking of the Supreme Court, we had decisions today. There were not, you know, a lot of the big landmark ones, though we did have one of the big cases that folks were waiting on, and it came down exactly as terrifyingly rewriting the Constitution as you might expect. Uh, That decision was the main decision which expands now the free exercise clause of the First Amendment to the point where, and I think Justice Breyer in dissent puts this pretty well, it now extends the free exercise clause to overrule the Establishment Clause. Specifically, so in this case, the state of Maine has some rural areas where there aren't, you know, there just aren't public schools, but it also has a state constitution that requires kids the right to a public education. And so to get around that, they had passed a law saying people in these rural districts, you know, given that they have a right to have an education, but there's no school in that district, we'll give you some subsidies so that you can go to a non-religious private school out there. You can you can use this money to go get your education, this public money to get your education that you would otherwise get at a public school from a non-religious private school. That seems pretty straightforward. This Supreme Court continuing a line of cases that has been rewriting how free exercise operates over the course of the last, you know, roughly 20 years or so, pushes one step further than they have up until now, and turned that into if the state is offering money to private schools at all, it now must make sure that that money can go to religious schools. This attempt by the state to avoid an Establishment Clause problem, according to this new Supreme Court opinion, violates the Free Exercise Clause. So it is a violation of free exercise to give somebody money that they then could go use on on religion, even though there's no attempt to prevent them from, you know, it's, it's, it's not about them being able to exercise their religion. It's about them being able to go to a school that is distinct. If they wanted to go to a religious school, they could have done that on their own. It's just the public money is meant to go for non religious education, which, which this is, Obviously, this has come up before. The, this is kind of an extension of prior cases that had said, if you're, for instance, giving money to schools through kind of a voucher program, and they wanted to utilize that money for a religious school for non-religious uses, it was wrong for the state to say, oh, well, you can't give it to the Lutheran school, basically. Mm-hmm. That was previous case law saying that, yes, it would still be wrong to you know, you could still make the distinction about whether or not the money's going to religious uses, but you can't say because it's religious per se, you don't get it. This opinion now pushes past that and now says that you must give it to religious use. And Breyer actually points to one of the schools involved in the case, which is a school that has as part of its mission statement that gay people are not allowed to be there and that it's primary mission is to, you know, teach everybody that Christ is their personal savior. These statements would seem to suggest that the money is not going to, you know, buying textbooks about math, but instead going toward religious education, which is what we used to call an establishment clause violation when we had an establishment clause. 
Yeah, I mean, just the kind of gymnastics and hoops involved that the decision has to jump through in order to come to the predetermined conclusion, right? It was always going to, given the current composition of the court, right? It was always going to kind of be this pro religion kind of jurisprudence, but just kind of the way that they had to jump through the hoops to make it all kind of make sense. I mean, it doesn't if you're familiar at all with First Amendment jurisprudence, but here we are. Yeah. It's an interesting move. Now, Justice Breyer is very cold about it. Just, uh, we just rewrote this such that the first clause of the religion rules is gone. The established clause is just Apparently gone. Apparently, just don't like the first clause of amendments. You know, the whole well-regulated yeah. militia. We've just yeah, kind of it, forgotten about that part. That's, that's actually the joke in my write-up of it is, <sighs> man, this guy's going to be upset when Bruin comes out. Uh, yeah, the... The founders are so genius and paying attention to the text is so important that we could just ignore every clause before the one that we really are focusing on. That we have decided meet our current political goals. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's not great. So on that note, we have, we have this opinion. Uh, oh, not, not on that note. That was just a bad transition to what I was going to say, which is uh, Sotomayor takes another dissent largely agreeing with Breyer, but being a little more a little more directly confrontational about it, making some statement along the lines of I'm terrified of where this court is gonna lead us next. Uh, which is I mean aren't we all? Yeah. And I think we're about Same to find friend. out. Same. Yeah. As of the time you're hearing this podcast, there are thirteen cases left to go, including almost all of the big ticket ones besides this church and state case. There is one scheduled day left for those to be released. The idea that they're going to release 13 on that day are unlikely. highly unlikely. unlikely. So we assume that after Thursday, there will be some other day or days added. So this term's not over yet. Yeah, folks. they're just going to, I think, figure out when is the day that most people are likely to be otherwise busy and occupied and not spending nearly as much time thinking about the Supreme Court, in which case they will release Cough, cough, July 5th. I was going to yeah. say, so, one of the holidays coming up? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's July 5th. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. anywho. I think in particular the um, the gun case, because, it, uh, you know, for whatever you think about the Dobbs leak, I think that most of the sort of political blowback as a result of it, it has already occurred. So I think they're probably more concerned, and also given the fact that, you know, every time they we think that they're going to release it, you know, there's a mass I mean, shooting. this is this is very dark, but... July 5th, schools are mostly out of session. Yeah. The odds yeah. that something's going to happen. And, and it's mm -hmm. horrifying that the mere act of schools being out is something that probably is in their calculus. But school's out, so there probably won't be a shooting over that weekend. So that's when they can do it. Well, there but, won't be a school yeah. shooting. Right. The thing that's going to be wild, and I'm just thinking about this now, is that years out, um, when people are, you know, their undergraduates looking at, the American response to the COVID pandemic, they're going to be like, oh, one interesting thing about uh, the response to the global pandemic was that less children were murdered because they were home. <laughs> right. Yeah. But hey, that's, that's, uh, that's living in advanced civilization. Yeah. All right. Well, to conclude, let's talk about law school. Interesting case issue that came up in law school. I shouldn't say case since we've just been talking about the Supreme Court so much, but we had an incident. Incident, yeah, yeah. Matter. I, I don't want to talk about school incident after what we just were talking about either. <laughs> yeah. But it, so 
UCLA's had a rough go of it in the last couple of weeks. Can't get you a break, those folks. So UCLA Law School uh, accidentally sent around a spreadsheet of GPAs. Uh, sure which, did. And they're like, please delete this. Yeah, uh, not great. Whenever schools send that please delete message, you go see the thing. <laughs> you just don't say anything. Yeah, the odds that students were really opening emails from the school was so slim. You didn't even well, have to. Well, apparently there were some, it was some cells and stuff that could be found. And the school was notified by students who were like, hey, did you know that you can see individuals' GPAs as well as which law firms they got interviewed from, which ones gave them a callback, who gave them offers? Mm. Like, literally as, so, you know, John Smith with a 3-7 got the, you know. So it wasn't it wasn't great. They really had to do something. They couldn't just pretend that it didn't happen. So it was bad. On the on the heels of that, uh, we learn that a visiting professor who had taught a course at UCLA had not turned in their grades long after grades were due. Sufficiently long after they were due that well, at anyone least they can't disclose those grades. That's right. That's right. So you get silver lining. It's a selling point. It's a selling yeah. point. Lining. You know, I do this for the people. Yeah. So. <laughs> With these grades not being there, it got sufficiently out of hand that anyone applying to clerkships had to be given a letter by the school explaining why that grade wasn't going to be available. We'd reached right up until the line in which the school has to report to the state bar everyone's grades, all, all the graduates' grades, so mm. that they can even take the bar exam. And it turned out, so we don't know all the details, but it seemed as though this was that the professor just kind of Ghosted blanked? on the school, like blanked on it, or like just just <laughs> went away. Yeah, which like, I got a vacay planned. Peace. Bold, uh, yeah. in particular with an exam that I gather from tipsters talking about it had a three thousand word limit, so it's not like it was a particularly long exam either. But yeah, just disappeared. And according to students who talked about it, they reached out to the school, and the school said, "Yeah, we're." We're also not able to get a hold of this guy. <laughs> hey, look, uh, so I mean, he just disappeared. Everybody talks, makes a good talk about work-life balance. This is it. This is yeah, it. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> hey, hey, look, the semester's over. Themselves. The semester's over. You know, I'm supposed to work during the semester. I don't know who's going to grade these papers. I did my part, you know. It's <laughs> There's the a dream. I mean, work-life balance doesn't require they be in balance. Just at <laughs> right. some distribution. Yeah. Because well, that's the thing. Well, it usually never is. Yeah. <laughs> you're either working or you're unemployed. <laughs> there is a happy ending. Uh, soon after this story came to light, the school successfully got a hold of the professor and we have grades now and mm. everyone can move Woo! on. But yeah, it, it, was, uh, it, it was a bit of a little fire drill there where nobody knew what was going to happen. Uh, because if mm. you have a bunch of exams from a course and then that professor isn't there to grade it, what do you do? It's like, I mean, even if you say, we're apple falls in the wood and no one is there to grade the exam. Did it yeah. even happen? Yeah. If you, uh, like, I mean, obviously you would turn it into some kind of a pass fail, but you still need somebody to read it to figure out if anyone failed. So yeah. you'd have to build your own like new rubric about a course you didn't teach and Ooh. the questions you didn't write. Yeah. You know how like there are like there's a uh, those unspoken rules where like everybody knows but nobody knows the origins. Like if the teacher doesn't show up at the 15 minutes, you get to leave. Yep. Or yeah. like uh I think it's an undergrad. If your roommate dies, you get like an yeah. A. Right, right. I wonder what happens if like there has there's probably like some unknown known code for if uh if a teacher plays a, a tender date and just ghosts yeah. everyone. <laughs> 
Like you, you, like you like a Everyone B for effort. Passes. <laughs> yeah. Everyone passes. Everyone passes the flying C. Yeah. Thankfully, it's come to a conclusion. And one thing that I made a note of is uh, things are not going UCLA's way these days. But you know, give them credit for being upfront and keeping people informed. They they quickly told people, "Hey, here, sorry, we released a bunch of GPAs." They seemed very upfront that they were making every effort to get a hold of this person and just couldn't find them. Uh, so. The schools, at least, not trying to hide the ball on everybody. So, shout out great. to UCLA for having more accountability than the Uvalde's police department. Yeah, right. Oof. Wow, that's. I mean, I'm not wrong. On that. Oh, you're yeah, not wrong. You're, you're not, not wrong. wrong. <laughs> on that very, very dark note. Hey, thanks everybody for listening. So, hey, listen, it's 2022. Sometimes. Things are dark. Things are going to get dark. Things are it was Juneteenth yesterday. It's still very dark. <laughs> this yeah. is a good time of the year. So with that, we are concluding. You you know, should be subscribed to the show so you can listen to new episodes when they come out. You should write reviews for it so that more people know and engage with the show. You should be reading Above the Law so you see these stories when they come out. These and more stories when they come out on Above the Law. You should be listening to The Jabot, which is Catherine's other show. I'm also a panelist on the Legal Tech Week Journalist Roundtable, where we talk about legal tech. Check out the other shows from the Legal Talk Network. Follow us on social media. I'm at Joseph Patrice. She's at Catherine One. That's the numeral one. He's at Rights for Rent. Uh, You should be, what else? There's something else I'm supposed to say, but now I've completely lost that. Read Above the Law? I did the read above the law. Maybe it's because I did things out of order because, you know, I'm always trying to shake things keep up. Keep things fresh. Yeah, keep it. Yeah, no one's a little bit. listening anymore. Mm. Well, I mean, I, I, I like to think somebody as well. And, uh, Somebody's yeah. falling asleep. And with that, we'll uh, be done. Yeah. Next week. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.